The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So uh, we can start with informally, if you'd like, if you have any questions or if you have any comments or if you have any re- reports about doing any of this practice at home or during the week. And uh, we can do this more informally and people are still coming in, if you'd like. So we have a couple of questions. Uh, first thing is a question and then an observation. So, uh, Gil, when you mentioned being fully present, uh, not just during the meditation, but also being fully present during your day also, so you meant being aware of the surroundings, what's happening around you, and the breath, and em- embodied. That's what you meant? Oh, yes. Well, you know, to be fully aware all the time is a little bit, you know, a little bit over-idealistic. Um, and, um, but what happens as we develop uh, our capacity for presence, for attention, for mindfulness, we, have, we understand how we can bring attention to different parts of our lives. And uh, as we get a better, better sense, we can bring attention to our physical life, our emotional life, our cognitive life, our social life, uh, our, you know, all these different areas. Uh, then uh, we learn how to uh, not pay attention to all of it at once, but to pay attention to where it's most important at the moment. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if you're relaxed, sometimes it's, there, there can be a very open, relaxed awareness that seemingly takes in a lot of it all at once. That's, how it fe- that's what it feels like. Um, but if we do, we really, but generally if we, uh, for people, especially people who are getting a hang of it, when we apply the mindfulness to a situation, it's always, always aware it's most important at that time. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you're driving your car, it's not the time to close your eyes and, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, watch your breathing. Uh, then mindfulness should be on the traffic, you know, and the driving and all that. So just, just the observation I, I had was, you know, being in the body. Um, first two, three days I was able to do a couple of times and then, you know, as the weekend progressed, I was able to be, to more experience the sensations within the body. And then I realized there was a lot of pain, actually, which I was not very uh, you aware re- you of. You realized what? There was, a, uh, there was pain points in the body, which actually I would have just ignored if I was not actually being fully there. So that was so a so realization. So which, is, which is, so which is preferable, ignoring it or knowing it? No, knowing is better. So I, I actually started to wonder if that much exercise is a good thing. I had some... <laughs> I had some, uh, you know, I didn't, I was not uh, aware that there was so much pain in the body or the body is recovering that much after exercise. So once, you know, I had more of that experience, then I realized there was a lot of pain, which I never realized before. I, I, uh, yeah, so um, physical pain is often a messenger uh, that uh, something needs to be paid attention to. And so by learning to pay careful attention to it, sometimes we learn what the lesson is. Uh, the um, you know for example physically I've I've had situations where I've had an injury or something was a, w- a little bit off in terms of my legs and and I had to I paid a lot of careful attention to my legs my lower back 
And because I had the ability to really stay present, I got to slow, start slowly see what was going on there. Also, the, the body, as I said before, will reveal a lot about the emotional discomfort we have. And for me, sometimes the first indication that I'm emotionally uncomfortable in a situation has been by some physical discomfort. So by learning to be sensitive to the body, there's a lot of important information that comes. Thank you. Someone else? Is that working? So anyone else? Happy to answer questions. Nice to hear. Anybody uh, having... uh, Here, right here on the floor in front of you. So during the mindfulness meditation on body, I can... My attention goes to some parts of it, but then... Thing I uh, again, it comes back to my breathing, and it's like breathing is on the way; it's not getting away. So, what do you do to stop paying attention to breathing and attention to the body more? If, if the if breathing is the predominant experience, that's the compelling place to go. Just be content to stay with the breathing; you don't have to go anywhere else. You only go somewhere else with your attention and elsewhere in your body if something else is really uh, predominant or compelling. Now, if something is compelling, there's a strong sensation somewhere and really wants your attention and you bring your attention there, but the breathing keeps kind of being so strongly in the field of awareness, uh, you can be relaxed around that and kind of imagine that you're breathing through the experience, the, the strong pain or the strong situation. You're breathing through it or around it or somehow massaging it with the breathing. And that way you kind of can, uh, can be, uh, include both together. Does that make sense? Great. So it's all clear, the instructions, and and your body's all clear. The clarity of body and clarity of the instructions, you're all set for emotions. Well, I hope it's a, a good sign that there's no questions or concerns, that somehow the instructions have been clear enough and you've been applying them and just enough to get a hang, handle, a hang on. Yes, please. Um, Um, if sometimes you see colors or other things, do you try to eliminate those or do you just let them come? Sounds, images, colors? You don't have to get it. Uh, yes, yeah, so when your eyes close, you see colors and patterns that appear. Some people do that, and that's a fairly common phenomenon. So you don't have to do anything special with it. Uh, you don't have to get rid of them. Uh, if so, it's, you know, because the practice is to be to notice whatever is predominant, if those are predominant, it's good just to notice that it's happening, just recognize it's happening. But generally, we don't pay much attention to those colors and those patterns, so you can just let them recede from attention. Just know they're there; they're not a problem. Kind of let them go go into the background. Does that make sense?
Um, hi, I was wondering if you could um, maybe talk about the benefits of sitting with either pain or if like we have an itch when we're meditating if, instead of moving to scratch the itch maybe mm-hmm. yeah, to yeah. sit with it I was wondering if you could elaborate on okay well let's let's start yeah. with the itch because that's um, as far as I know no one's died from an itch <laughs> or if they have it's pretty rare and uh, though it can feel like you're going to uh, so itches can be quite strong so in, in Thailand one of the great uh, meditation practices, which are never taught, but it's just given to you, is the mosquito meditation. And you're sitting there meditating, minding your own business, and this bzzz comes around. And then you can feel it sometimes. It lands on your skin. And you're not, you're not, supposed, to, you're not supposed to move, and, and, and Buddhists are not supposed to kill anything. So, so you just sit there. And, uh, and you kind of, since you're mindful, you can... You can feel it kind of, you know, walking around. And, um, and then uh, after a while you don't feel anything. And that, that's not a good sign. And, and then suddenly you, then you hear, and it's gone. By the time this goes away, before that your mind was drifting and thinking about things, and now you're really present. I mean, that mosquito got your attention. And you were like one-pointed, one-pointed samadhi, just, just you and... So sometimes these itches and stuff like that are great objects for attention. They're compelling, and we can just really stay focused on them. And so we develop concentration. More importantly, uh, it's kind of like going into a lab and uh, in order to exercise and learn something. that you can. It, it's best to learn in the lab because it's safe there. So you're in the laboratory of the itch, and you get to learn, you get, you get to notice what your common patterns are for reacting to things which are uncomfortable. And people have different patterns. Some people, their pattern is to get angry. Some people, the pattern is to get, you know, is to attack and blame. Some people, the pattern is to escape and tune out. Some people is to immediately go in to look for a solution and engineer solutions. Um, All kinds of things. You get to see what your patterns, what the mind does, you know, what, what kind of thinking it tends to churn up. It's always uh, thoughts about disease. It must be cancer, you know, or, or you know, it's you know, it's this place, you know, IMC is so dirty. We must have filled with ants here crawling around, and it's, you know, you know, where where do you tend to go? So you start learning so much about yourself in the relatively benign situation of an itch, where it's not so dangerous for you, even though you might have to break out in a sweat not to scratch it. You can learn so much, and about yourself, and in. Um, and, uh, you know, you might say, well, who cares about the itch? You know, learning all this about the itch. But that's the, well, that's the laboratory where you learn about yourself. And then when you go out of the itch, out of the meditation, sooner or later you're going to run into a life situation where you're pretty uncomfortable. And you might be so uncomfortable you can't do anything about it. And then you say, oh, now I know. I know what I do. I know. I recognize myself. I, here's the old patterns. And you've learned not only to recognize it, You've learned not to give into it, and if the and if the mosquito that is you know bothering you, uh, that you usually would swat at, is your boss. You're going to be really grateful that you've learned not to swat, but just to you know, not you know, give into the reactions. So that's some of the benefits. Is that is that, is that um, interesting enough? Yes. <laughs> and so the same thing with pain. 
the difference with pain is that um, uh, you don't want to pain is a kind of situation you don't want to sit with pain so you start getting really discouraged it, uh, so but it's useful laboratory there as well so it can be use, very useful to go in and pay attention to it and many people have a very strong policy of avoiding pain and will get angry if you tell them just go and feel the pain but that's what we do here we just go be with it and explore it and all those benefits can be there but in addition with pain sometimes we get into the deeper structures of the pain and we start seeing that's different than what we thought and that there's benefits to doing that as well um, whereas with an itch I would say just you know sit it out just stay there until the end with a pain only if you have the if you feel encouraged feel confident this is a good time for it you're confident you're not injuring yourself um, you know then you know but if you start getting discouraged or have any hint that you might be in- injuring yourself uh, change your posture okay so welcome back and um, so this mindfulness thing uh, you know it's you know when I started doing this practice it was pretty unknown and now it's just like all over our society in all kinds of ways I went I did a, I went through uh, some five years ago um, Amazon to see all the titles of books that had the word mindfulness in them and there were hundreds and there were uh, there was uh, books on uh, mindfulness and poker and there was a book on mindfulness and um, angry birds <laughs> a little you know game on the phone and um, you know just you know everything you can imagine you know and you, everything you don't want to imagine you know that mindfulness of and uh and there's also like one minute mindfulness or there's 10 minute mindfulness you know how you can do it you know people are busy so you want your mindfulness you know you, you know this you know buddhism you know so inefficient we meditate for 40 <laughs> we meditate for 45 minutes every day right but that is buddhist what do they know uh, you know you, you want to nail it in 10 minutes <laughs> you know the 10 minutes or one minute so um so i'm going to uh, so i'm, I'm not going to be outdone so so <laughs> <laughs> and so what's nice about this mindfulness it's actually can be it's useful momentarily it's useful in very small dosages in ordinary things in life and it's useful as a very profound practice that leads people leads the Buddha to full, full enlightenment some of the deepest uh, places of wisdom of enlightenment of compassion are accessible through this deep practice and there's people who go for many many months and uh, in long, silent retreats in order to really cultivate the very strong, powerful, radiant uh, mindfulness that you know, is transformative in deep psychological ways, powerful ways. So there's a whole range from Angry Birds to the Dalai Lama. And, um, so, but I want to tell you, uh, it's about a 20-second thing of mindfulness. And um, it's called the three-breath journey. So if you don't mind, just as you are, don't change anything, just close your eyes for a moment. And be attentive, attend to three breaths.
Okay, maybe three or four. So, um, in just that little 20 seconds or so, what changed for some of you? Was there any change? Are you just the same as you were before those three breaths? Or did something shift? You're quieter, mm-hmm. calmer, more focused, uh-huh. grounded, did some of you now understand yourself better, like where you're actually, what's actually happening for you at this, that you didn't quite more tired than you realize, more achy, more something? No? You already knew yourself well. Anything else? My face Sorry? My face Your face relaxed, nice. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, great. So there was physical relaxation. Anybody else have a little bit of physical relaxation just doing that? Uh-huh. Great. So that shift that happened is the journey breaths. Isn't that nice? Now, you could do that anytime you want, but uh, if you do that regularly enough, it, it starts becoming transformative. The Buddha had this wonderful little saying. He said, with dripping drops of water, the water jug is filled. Or we would say maybe the dripping drops of water, the bathtub would be filled with enough time, right? So that was a little drop of mindfulness. And if you do it once every two months, that's nice. If you do it uh, uh, four times an hour, you'll start noticing how it begins shifting your whole day and shifting you. Do you have time for, do you have have extra 20 seconds in an hour? Some people say, I don't have time to meditate. But do you have 20, 20, 20 seconds to do three breaths? So, you might try that as you go through your day. Uh, you might have many more opportunities than you realize. Try the, the three-breath journey. Take a little journey. And there might be times, if you're honest with yourself, that uh, the alternative to doing that is not as good. You're better off doing that journey. I've done it sometimes in um, supermarket checkout counters you know, checking out, you know, and, and uh, I'm, you know, I have important things to do there, right? Like, you know, look at the magazines that are there and judge people for what they're buying and, <laughs> you know, and wonder why the clerk is not doing faster job and, you know, and, you know, all I have important things to do, right? But actually it's better, if I'm honest, it's actually, I'm better off, the world's probably better off if I take the three-breath journey. It's a wonderful thing. So, so it can be that simple. So um, let's do that a little bit again. And uh, we're going to sit a little bit longer, but not in a lot long, maybe, maybe two, three minutes. And uh, so if you want to make yourself a little uh, more comfortable, you're well, welcome, but it's, it's pretty short.
and then close your eyes. And we'll begin by doing the three breath journey. Just take three breaths and attend to those breaths. And then you're not trying to make anything happen. You're just here to notice. And take a a few moments here to notice how you're feeling. Just this, this particular moment in life, how are you? And in particular, how are you emotionally? What kind of mood do you have or mental state? Mental state? It could be pretty subtle. Are you more on the happy side of things or the s- sad side? Are you more on the side of being calm or more on the side of being agitated? Are you more on the side of being eager, interested, or more on the side of being bored? Are you more on the side of being receptive or are you more on the side of being aversive? More enthusiastic or discouraged? More on the side of being anxious or on the side of having some confidence? And then whatever you recognize about how you are, how you feel, <clears throat> let it be. You don't, don't do anything about it. No need to have commentary or judgments, but for a few seconds, for another 20 or so seconds, do the three breath journey. And just breathe in the middle of how you're feeling. Nothing to change, nothing to fix. And then you can take a couple of deep breaths and open your eyes. So this was a longer journey, a couple of minutes, with the little, that little 
breath journey in the beginning and end, and the simple recognition of how you are. So what shifted for you during that little period? What changed for you? What happened to you in that? Yes, please. I think I was agitated, uh-huh. agitated in the beginning, and then the more I did the breathing, I became calmer, but then it would kind of go in and out, but it, you did have a calmer feeling, I felt. So by, re- by recognizing that you were agitated, and just being simple with it, breathing with it, it calmed down, but it came back, back and forth a little bit, but that's probably nicer than just being constantly anxious. So that was nice. Um, I was willing to accept that I was the happier of the two states that you laid out for us. And normally I'm not optimistic. Uh So I was just able to say to myself, just accept it. Nice, nice. And what happened when you accepted it? I was happy. (laughs) Happy. (laughs) I think that exercise gives uh, like a perspective as if you're going to outer space and observing the earthlings. So in, in the sense that we unnecessarily worry too much about things, so putting that in perspective. That so, so b- doing that little exercise helped you put that into perspective, right? And that, and and what happened to the worry? We worry more than what they are, so we have to reduce worry about them. So you come back into just being, then there's less worry, right? Less nice, less nice. Worry. Okay, well, so one of the things I was trying to convey in both these exercises is how simple this can be. And it doesn't have to be, you know, you know, we, we, you know, here at IMC we do a lot of meditation, and kind of that's what I'm teaching here, this course. And you can meditate for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, you know, different lengths of time. But if that's what you think mindfulness is, uh, sooner or later it's going to seem a little challenging. Especially if you have ideals, like I'm supposed to be super concentrated the whole time, or I'm supposed to be able to work through everything just like that. But um, even in the middle of meditation, you can do um, a three-breath journey. Even even in the middle of the meditation, you can do a little feeling journey. Just take a few moments just to feel and open and be with it. It doesn't have to be this big kind of like, oh, I have to do it and do it and do it and do it until I bust or something. Uh, you can be relaxed and just kind of do these little things. It's useful in ordinary life. It's useful in meditation. And, that ki- and having that as an option can ha- hopefully make it a little bit more relaxed to do the meditation. Because some people are perfectionists. Some people have high standards for themselves. Some people get very discouraged very quickly for them about th- how they're doing. And uh, that's all part of the grist for the mill in meditation, if that, those things happen. It's all part of the, the stuff that gets composted in meditation. 
But uh, knowing that you can keep it this simple and don't have to make a big project out of it can be very helpful. Another thing that can be helpful is uh, that comes from a little uh, kind of um, simile that the Buddha taught. It seems that uh, <coughs> the Buddha had a group of people around him and he said, um, if an if, uh, archer comes along and shoots an arrow at you, will that hurt? And so the people say, that hurts. And he says, and if the, arrow, if the archer then goes and shoots a second arrow at you, what then? Well, that's going to hurt more. And then the Buddha said, basically he said, the first arrow is what life gives you. That, you know, just the second arrow is what you add. So the example might be that I'm walking down the sidewalk and sidewalks sometimes have edges that stick up and people trip in the dark. And, you know, it's just that's part of life a little bit. It's unfortunate, but people trip and that's what happens. Um, and then we try to take care of the best we can depending on what happens there. But so that's the first arrow. Or you leave here today and your car has a flat tire. That would be the first arrow. Or you get onto the freeway to go home and the traffic is stopped. And you can't get off the freeway. That's the first arrow. So all the, that, the first arrows happen all the time, right? The second arrow is, says, you say to yourself, I'm the w- world's worst walker that I tripped on the sidewalk. Or why am I living in, in a place where there's so many bad drivers and they don't even know how to drive the people and they're up there and had an accident and, you know, we really need to do something about getting new laws about da-da-da-da-da. You know, so, you know, that's all the second arrows that are, are painful to think this way and just adding more and more arrows. And so there's all this extra stuff we add on top. And uh, another way this has uh, uh, been... Exp- uh, yesterday I talked to a friend of mine who teaches mindfulness in the state prisons. And, um, and his way of teaching this little story about the second arrow is by saying um, to the inmates, um, he says, um, he tells them, shit happens, don't make it worse. Isn't that kind of great? I think it's kind of brilliant. So, you know, you know, bad things will happen. Shit happens, whatever that is. Just don't make it worse. The second arrow is what makes it worse. And a lot of what makes it worse for many people is how they relate to themselves. They can be angry at themselves or be upset or cut up or, or feel shame or guilt or all kinds of things. Uh, they can feel disappointed. All those are arrows. So all those are ways of kind of hurting ourselves in some way. So part of what we're trying to do in mindfulness practice is not necessarily, we can't stop the first arrows. We can't stop the, you know, something like a flat tire will happen, all kinds of things, or we get sick. But we can do something about the second arrow. And a lot of the power or the benefits of this mindfulness practice is learning how to have the presence of mind, the attention to what's going on, so we can notice that we can leave the first arrow be the first arrow and we don't make it worse. We don't add more arrows. It's bad enough. Some of us are really good at um, 
shooting the first arrow. <laughs> you know, we're going around, you know, it's going, al- going along and everything is fine and, you know, there's no problems. And then we make a problem, make a problem up. And that's, you know, and now suddenly we're agitated and upset and something. So sometimes that happens. But, uh, and sometimes there are, the second arrow is shot and that's bad enough. We're uncomfortable. And since we're uncomfortable, we might as well shoot a third one and a fourth one. And some people actually most of their lives is lived in reaction to all the previous arrows. And they just add more arrows. It's, it's kind of messy, right? And so what we're trying to do in mindfulness practice is to get back down to the beginning of that process and just let things be, leave things alone. That's the, that, oh, there's a first arrow. Let's just kind of, let's just be relaxed about it. Let's just be. Now, why I like to teach this when we talk about emotions is that there's a range of different kinds of emotions. And uh, in Buddhism, sometimes they talk about afflictive emotions and beneficial emotions. Afflictive emotions are those that uh, afflict harm on us, ourselves. They're the second arrow emotions. Uh, the beneficial ones are no arrows at all. There's more like flowers are growing inside of us when, when they occur. And, um, and so the, um, and these afflictive emotions, especially, they're a little bit like uh, we want something. They're kind of a motivation behind them. And that's why, I, like, I, you know, I want to push that away. Or I want to run away. I want to put my head, you know, I'm an ostrich approach and put my head in the sand and pretend nothing's there. And um, uh, 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 guilt is a kind of motivation to treat oneself badly, to blame oneself and be self-critical. And so the afflictive emotions tend to be things that we're doing to ourselves, even though we normally don't think that way. The beneficial emotions, the nurturing emotions, seem to come, they feel like they come from someplace much more deeper inside. So experiences of um, uh, compassion, of love, a certain kind of, uh, uh, there's different kinds of joy and happiness, um, but um, um, pleasure, we say in Buddhism, is more on the surface. And happiness is part of this that bubbles up from the inside. So you can do all kinds of things to get pleasure. And again, it's, you were doing something. And not a few people go for pleasure and it turns out the pleasure was an arrow, another arrow. People who, uh, uh, for example, uh, have addiction issues. You know, it's a kind of a big, big illness in our society. And, uh, and with, you know, taking one more drink, it's pleasant in the moment, but it's just a big arrow for themselves, maybe the people around them. And so... To learn to sit and don't make it worse. To learn to sit with what's there. And not only then we don't give in to those motivations, those impulses of the afflictive emotions, but we start making space for these deeper nourishing ones to, ha- to come and have time in us as well. So you will have emotions from time to time. And Buddhism is no way meant to be in denial of emotions or you're supposed to let go of them. Um, but the idea is to learn how to be present, mindful for them. And being mindful makes all the difference in the world. Because being mindful is not indulging in it. It's not sinking into the emotion. It's not being pushed around by the emotion. Not that the emotion has you by the nose. Uh, to be mindful is to be respectful of the emotion. 
uh, but without being caught in it. And I love the word respect, especially with emotions, because in Latin, the word respect means um, to look again. So if you want to respect your emotions, take a good look at them. You know what they're there, then take a good look. What's this here? What's going on? And, um, and it turns out also that uh, meditation is one, sitting, when you're sitting quietly by yourself, maybe, closing your eyes, with your kind of a commitment, kind of, not to move for the duration of meditation. So since you're not going to move uh, and not going to speak, you're not going to hit anyone and you're not going to say something you later regret. It's a, so that makes meditation a great place to let any emotion you have course through you. Your permission when you meditate to be who you are, to feel what you are. So if you feel murderous rage, well, you know you're safe for now. Just let it go. Let it, let it move through you. Let it move through you. Let it be present. But the art of it is to learn how to let it be present without adding any other arrows, without getting involved in it, and without having the emotion get the upper hand, where it's telling you what to do. So it takes some, it's not, it's not necessarily easy, but it's to sit kind of in a balanced way and, and be present for it. Metaphorically, it's represented by the meditation posture. Like we have the statue of the Buddha here. Uh, you can just as well use someone sitting in a chair, your posture meditation, uh, where the body is relatively still. And being still and not moving, it's not being pushed around by the emotion. You're not moving your arms and your fingers and all this, whatever you're doing. So the same way, we're looking for that place inside where the emotions can be swirling around, but we're looking for that place of attention inside where there can also be a stillness or a quietness or calmness that just can see it, but is not caught by it. Can see it, but doesn't add an arrow. Sees it and don't, doesn't come to a conclusion, meaning this is the end of the world. Sees it, but doesn't uh, you know, believe it, but also doesn't disbelieve it. There's a, the middle way between believing and disbelieving doesn't give it authority, but doesn't dismiss it. This is a powerful thing to do, partly because this allows the emotions to begin to evolve, change, heal, whatever they need to do. Um, the word emotion in English, or comes from Latin also, the E, the prefix, means out. And the motion means motion. The afflictive emotions, what they want to do is they want to move out. They want to relax. They want to unwind. They want to let go. Most afflictive emotions come with physical tension of one kind or other. And the body just wants to relax. So if we can really be present and not be involved and keep fueling and adding to the cycle of the afflictive emotions, they tend to want to relax. Yes? Are you, are you saying um, not to react to the emotion? Yeah. So, you don't want, so that's why meditation is such a good place for difficult emotions. 
you, you're not going to act from them, but you also don't want to react to them. So what do you do with them? You feel them. You what? You, you, you bring mindfulness to them. So you sit, you sit still and you bring attention to them, and that's what I'm going to describe in a couple of minutes. I'm going to go into more detail. I, I'm, I'm saying it from a space of, of saying if you get it from someone, like an arrow from another person uh-huh. that you're close to, and oh. it's repetitive, what do you do with those? Oh, that's a whole other topic. Okay. You know, right now we're just dealing with, this is like, we're, we're dealing with, you know... 101. 101 here. Okay. <laughs> you know? So in 101, what you learn is someone keeps abusing you, but every time they abuse you, uh, uh, you shut down. Or every time you abu- they abuse you, you blame yourself. Or every time they abuse you, uh, you're throwing dinner plates across the room. Um, maybe a good place to start is to understand yourself and how you react and how you're making it worse. And so to really understand yourself so you can come from a different place. And so, um, so the exercise we talked about earlier about the itch, this is also true with emotions, is that by learning to sit still with the emotions, we get uh, in meditation. It's a laboratory to understand what is actually going on for us. And even with the itch, for example, there might be all kinds of emotional reactions there, ones that are, are second arrows. So we want to we learn the territory. We want to lear, learn our inner map. We want to learn the operating system, how we are, and learn how to stay calm and still so we're not reactive. And then, it, then when someone comes, uh, you know, who needs to be addressed, or needs to, something needs to happen, you'll be in a much better position to figure out, that I- that figure out what that is and figure out what to do. And um, and that's 102, or 401, or something. <laughs> Is that okay for now? Very good. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but, you know, so ideally you don't send arrows in that person's direction. No. That ideally, unless, unless that's the only thing that's going to keep you alive. So, um, Emotions. So let's do a meditation now. So, gently close your eyes. And you might take a few moments to wiggle around or adjust your posture, making maybe small adjustments so you feel both more comfortable and a little bit more alert with your body. Maybe the spine can be a little bit more upright. Some people can feel a little bit more alert if they kind of let the head, but, uh, the chin, at the same time as t- t- tucking the chin down towards your chest, t- teeny bit, you also pull the head back slightly. Slightly means like a millimeter. 
And then you might, at the beginning of a meditation, take two or three long, slow, deep breaths. Maybe like a bit of a massage from the inside, feeling the stretching, expanding of the ribcage, shoulders. As you breathe in, and relaxing as you exhale. These deep breaths at the beginning of meditation is also a reminder that this is the location of the meditation in this place at this time, in this body. It's a reminder to be here and now not there and then. And then you can let your breathing return to normal. We don't make any special effort to breathe special ways. Just whatever way you happen to be breathing in a natural way, your way. And you might also spend a minute or so scanning through your body to see if there's any obvious places, muscles that you can relax or soften. Maybe softening around the face. Softening the shoulders. <coughs> and perhaps softening the belly. And then for next little while, sit meditating with your breathing. And if all you do is a series of three breath journeys, that would be great.
And then in a few moments, see if you can do a little experiment with breathing and see if you can feel the body breathing for three breaths with as little commentary or reactions or being for and against that you can have. Just the simplicity of three breaths with the mind easy with it. It's all okay. And sometimes how we make it more complicated is through the commentary, the stories or ideas we tell ourselves about what's happening. Maybe for the next three breaths, can you let the commentary recede into the background? So you're just there with the breathing. And now the experiment is to try to be aware, to recognize how you're feeling now. And to recognize it with as little commentary or judgment or reactivity as possible. As if you're allowed to feel just the way you are, no problem whether it's pleasant or unpleasant. For a little while, you're allowed to be that way. But you're going to recognize how you are. Maybe it's simple as Maybe you feel a little bit uneasy, or maybe you feel a little bit at ease. Or a little anxious, or a little more peaceful. happy or sad.
contented or annoyed. In whatever way you're feeling, in your mind, very quietly, softly, clearly recognize what it is. Kind of like you're looking at it from a distance. And now, in whatever way you're feeling, whether it's the same or it's shifted now some way, see if you can experiment to better allow it to be there, to accept it, allow it. You don't have to condone it or approve of it but just make space for it to be in your body. As if there's infinite space for you to feel just the way you are. No problem. still feeling the same way or shifted some other way, maybe you're calmer, more agitated, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, whatever the emotional state you have, the mood you have, take a few moments to feel it in your body. How is it expressed in your body? What's the energies in your body that get activated when you feel this way? mood or the emotion more in your face or your chest or your belly. And allow it to be there. Recognize it where it is in the body. Allow it to be there. And take time to feel, feel it. Time to experience the physicality of it.
you continue for a little bit longer, see if you can distinguish between the commentary and how you're feeling. Can you distinguish between the arrows you might make, you might shoot, and the feeling, the emotion itself? Can you distinguish between your preferences and what's actually happening? And then, come back to your breathing. Maybe a three breath journey to begin with. And we'll meditate for another four or five minutes. And you can meditate with your breathing. Or if there become strong sensations in your body or some emotion that arises, you can see if you can bring that non-reactive awareness to be mindful of it, to feel it, to be with it. But the default is, whenever it makes sense, to come back to your breathing.
And to end this meditation, you can once again take a few long, slow, deep breaths. And as you do so, feel your body more fully. Remember you're here in this room, feeling the chair, your cushion, the floor. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. So the general idea of how I like to teach meditation, mindfulness meditation, is to use the breathing, the body's experience of breathing, as something that's grounding and stabilizing and calming and helps develop focus. And also because it's a regular phenomena, that's, you know, rhythm that's here and coming and going, a lot of the, the ways in which we relate to things play themselves out with the breathing as well. So if the breathing's uncomfortable, if the meditation is going as we would like it to go, all that's part, the compost for the meditation practice for mindfulness. Where it's a laboratory to understand ourselves better, how we get caught up and how we have expectations and how we have, we have you know, some ideas about who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be. All, the, whole, the whole psychological constellation of self and and what we prefer and what we, how we are with comfort and challenges and how we are with pleasure and delight and all kinds of nice things come into play, can come into play maybe subtly around the experience of breathing. So all that is part of what we wake up to and start noticing and the afflictive stuff falls away, the, that which is extra begins to slowly dissipate and it becomes a, a easier and easier to have a clarity and a simplicity and a just here. It's so it's such a wonderful, sublime pleasure to feel like you're just here in a simple way, rooted here, with no at ease, peaceful, with no needs, no reaction to anything, no concern about tomorrow or yesterday, and just be breathing in a nice way. It opens up this. It opens like walking into a door, into a new peaceful land that you get to explore. But the path there is to kind of see all the things that are complicated. So there will be complications as you do this practice. Hopefully they're not too big. Just welcome them. That's, that's the material, that's what we learn to be mindful of. That's the material in which we're kind of working with. They're not mistakes. They're the, the, um, the stepping stones to get to some more peaceful place. So it makes some sense? So we use the breathing. So it's just, that was a little pep talk for importance of breathing. But if, um, if um, uh, something else becomes more predominant, more compelling, so it's hard to stay with the breathing, then we bring our attention to that. And the, we're experimenting to see how can I have an attention, um, an awareness of it, a recognition of it, where I'm not for or against it, where I'm not caught up in being for and against it, where I'm not caught up in the commentary and the arrows and all these complications that can be there. And um, 
And so we bring our, you know, so that's what we're experimenting with and being present for, you know, so if it's in the body, strong sensations of the body, that's what we pay attention to. If it's emotions, that's what we pay attention to. And that was kind of the little bit the aim or the aim for this last meditation we did. And before I say anything more about this, I'll I'll give more and say more about the emotions part. But I would love to hear from a few of you what it was like to do that 20-minute meditation. What kind of journey was that for you? Or what shifted for you? Or what did you understand in the process of doing it? Yeah. Um, my body is hurting right now, and so um, it's taking a lot of my attention. And I walked in here feeling... I don't know if I could describe it, but just like a bramble all around my um, chest and back. And as and there's a lot of fear around the spasming and its old trauma and la la la. You know the stories are keep trying to hijack the moment. <laughs> um, but through the breathing and just being present with it, that untangled and the spasm's still there, it still hurts, but the extra energy that was there has made it a lot easier. And that was simply from being present for it, recognizing all this stuff, recognizing the emotion, and and even allowing it, right? Yeah. And it's a little bit counterintuitive, I think, for some people to allow these difficulties to be there. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, any sense of that, or you already kind of had a confidence in this path? Well, I've been doing it a long time because I've been in chronic pain for a long time. But, um, but I think the for me the the biggest deal is to go toward it is the fear to make it worse, right? And so, and it'll stay forever. And um, so, yeah, there there is a tendency, I think, culturally to try and ignore and take your attention out and take your attention away. Yeah. But it doesn't heal. Thank you for that. Someone else? Here in the front. Tanya, here in the front. Uh, after a while, I felt that uh, my hands were in different position. Uh, they seemed to have moved and they were kind of not attached to my body. And uh, my thumb was touching my fingers, so I kind of was wondering, really, that's what's happening? So I opened my eyes a bit to make sure that they were where they were, and they were in different spot than where my mind was thinking uh-huh. earlier. Yeah. So uh, one, of the, one of the phenomena of meditation practice, especially people who are usually relatively new, I think, or certain point of meditation, is um, what can be called, I call it perceptual distortions. And uh, it can be things like uh, the bo- body parts seem suddenly out of place, or the neck suddenly feels really long and you're afraid you're going to touch the ceiling, or you feel really squat, you know, or you know, something. And uh, what happens is the brain is uh, takes all the sense data. We get all these little pixels of sense data from all the nerve endings, and it all comes in. And then the, the brain, big, big function of the brain is to reconstruct it. 
into some kind of image, some kind of sense of that's more or less accurate so we can find our way in the world. And as we meditate and get calmer, uh, some of that reconstructing activity is calming down, but it hasn't stopped entirely. And so it's still trying to reconstruct a little bit in there, but it doesn't do, it's not so accurate anymore. And so things get a little bit wacky a little bit for a while. And, uh, but then as the, as the meditation gets calmer, then that's, it stops. And, you know, and, and uh, what, what happens, it's kind of nice after a while, uh, uh, at some point, even the whole sense of the body disappears because we're not doing that reconstructing activity. So I think that probably was, you know, just, you can be amused. Um, it was... A uh, little closer. I could notice the connection between uh, thinking and breathing, right? Every time that, you know, thought came, you can see the impact on your breathing. Fantastic. Yes, you can see the impact that thoughts can have on the breathing. Uh, yeah, the breathing is so sensitive. It picks up so many different things. We shift our breathing, where we breathe, where the muscles are get activated or how t- tense, how fast, how slow. It's fascinating feedback loop. Uh, that meditation was really difficult for me. I have a lot of physical pain in my body tonight, and I'm also tired, so my muscles get really twitchy when I'm tired. So trying to kind of just let all that be was really difficult for me. Uh-huh, I can imagine. Did you have any success? Uh, well, I had a few itches, and I was able to ignore those. That <laughs> <laughs> was good. <laughs> um, but a few moments when I would take like a really deep breath and kind of blow out the air, that was helpful mm-hmm. um, for the discomfort for a short time. Yeah, yeah. I'm, so, I'm sorry I was so uncomfortable. Did you learn something about second arrows? Uh, yes. In, in process of it? Yes. Uh-huh. So did yeah. you also learn not to make it worse then? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely was mindful of the, as you said, the commentary and uh-huh. not trying to kind of go down a, a road with it, whereas I just kind of recognized that I was in pain and recognized I'm tired, but not kind of taking that any further. Great. I appreciate that. It's very nice. You know, and, and there's some situations in life where, um, and sometimes in meditation even, where the, really the most successful and best things we can do is just simply don't make it worse. And so we learn how to do that. And, uh, you know, and it's and then ideally we make it better, but not making it worse sometimes we have to settle for that. Okay, so in, when I did that uh, guided meditation around emotions, I, uh, I first talked about recognizing what's there. Then I talked about allowing what's there. Then I talked about uh, feeling what's there, sensing it in your body. And, that, uh, and, the, and I talked about distinguishing between the commentary the preferences, and the direct experience of the emotions. So these are four little steps, uh, four aspects of how to bring attention to emotions. And there's a little acronym that you, if you want to remember this easier, and the acronym is RAFT, R-A-F-T. So R is recognize, A is allow or accept. I like allow. Um, because accept it feels too much like you're condoning it or something, or it's like it's a, some more complicated thing to accept something than just to allow it. <coughs> and so allow, the, the, so the F is to feel, 
And the distinguishing is to tease apart, to, to separate out, because often the, the commentary is entangled with the event, and we kind of, so to tease apart the commentary from the emotion we're having, tease apart the reaction we have to it, the preferences we have to it, the sec- second and third arrows we're adding to it. And so you can go through those steps, and the recognizing can be done by actually very quietly in your mind, a little whisper in the mind, to uh, name the emotion you're having, you know, what it is, just sad, happy, happy, joy, discouragement, fear, eagerness, confidence, whatever it might be. And uh, there's something about the naming, very simple, one word name, nothing more complicated than that, that can be very powerful. For one thing, we, we start doing this kind of simple recognition like that, it's kind of like we're stepping back and being the observer of it, rather than being kind of in the, in the mix of it and caught up in it. You're kind of like stepping back, oh, there it is, I see you. Anger, you're there. I'm here, you're there. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, I don't have to believe in you. I don't have to go along with you. I don't have to get rid of you because I'm here and you're there. That's, you don't say all those things, but you just say anger, <laughs> anger. But that's kind of you know that can have that effect. Um, it also there's something about um, it's kind of like truth telling. Sometimes if you really name something for what it is it takes some of its power away. There are some cultures in the world where you, d- you don't want to share your birth name to uh, people you don't know because somehow if they know your birth name that they have some kind of power over you. And so there's something about uh, uh, the power that the name has over our emotional life is that it's the power not to be caught in it, the power to be a little bit free from it. Uh, you know, it, it kind of... It kind of, it kind of the afflictive emotions, it kind of diffuses them slightly. And, oddly, and surprisingly enough, for the nourishing, beneficial emotions, it tends to actually make more space for them to grow, to be there. So the recognizing can be done silently, or it can be done with making this little note. And if you make this little note, one word note, you can keep doing it in a nice, relaxed, as long as it's there, you can just say, you know, sad, sad, sad. And if you say it repeatedly, it can be a little bit an experiment to see if you can trial and error, can you find a way to recognize so that you're not leaning in or pulling back. You're not caught by it or contracting around it or something, just very simple. And then A is allowing. Um, It doesn't mean you agree with it, doesn't mean you're celebrating it or think it's a good thing that it's there or you want it to be there. It just means that you're not making it worse. (laughs) It means that you're just uh, experimenting with discovering this very wonderful thing as a really precious thing, the, the, um, the clear mind that can hold experience within it, the clear awareness that can be unruffled by what it's aware of. And this idea of this clarity of mind, this freedom of mind that can come when we allow, it's the allowing which is good, not what you allow. (laughs) So don't get too caught up in what you're allowing, like, oh, you know, I shouldn't allow that, that's not good. Um, 
Um, but it's the uh, this, uh, freedom that comes from allowing. And that um, allowing mind tends to be a mind that has more wisdom. And if it is, um, you know, something in the world that you have to do something about, if you know how to allow it first in the mind, don't tell anyone you're doing it, but just kind of your, the allowing mind is there, then it can be clearer and wiser about saying no, if you need to say no to it. And then feeling is to experience it physically. All emotions have some kind of a manifestation in the body if we're paying a careful enough attention. And sometimes it's very subtle. But, uh, you know, we, you know, we have our, our stomach is all in knots if we're angry or afraid or there's a lot of heat because we're suddenly now got angry. I thought about my high school girlfriend and I haven't thought about her in almost 50 years and, you know, I'm fuming. It's all this heat and, you know, starting to break out in the sweat. Boy, you know, that really, she really still gets me, right? And so, um, so there's all these places you can feel it in your body. Even pleasant emotions like compassion. You feel a lot of love or you can feel a warmth and a glow that maybe is radiating someplace. So the idea is if it's accessible to you to find where it is in the body. And it turns out that uh, uh, when you can just feel it in your body, the body is not a story. The body is not commentary about it. And feeling in the body is kind of like giving lots of room for it to unfold. It's almost as if the places in the body where the emotion manifests, that's the place where things can get processed. And the body knows how to process it on its own. So if you can go find that place and just hold it in awareness, hold it gently, kindly, just be with it. It makes space and and just allowing, if you allow it, the physicality of that emotion to feel it, then it'll find its way in whatever way it needs to go, whatever way it needs to evolve. So recognize, allow, and feel. And then a little bit more complicated is thing teasing apart, this distinguishing between uh, all the extra stuff that we add on top. That's more than just allowing. The commentary, the judgments, the um, uh, engineering projects we have about how to engineer the pain away or engineer the feelings away or engineer a better one or something. Just keep it really, you know, that's extra. So tease it apart, separate it out, distinguish it. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you can, you'll stop the commentary or the reactivity, but if you see it as being distinct from the actual emotion, then there can be space of, of a little more peace and calm in the middle of it. You're less likely to be pushed around by it or caught by the emotion if you see the reactivity as reactivity and the emotion as emotion. It's two separate things. It's when, they, when the reactivity and the emotion become one and almost inseparable that's when people tend to do things which they later regret, where they get caught up in it and all that. So, and if that is too complicated, all those steps, and you find that you get too wrapped up in too much thoughts and too many more arrows now because of those steps, um, just come back to your breathing. Just always come back to your breathing. Always come back and you always could go back and do the three, three breath journey. Clear out, be simple, and then after those three breaths, you can decide whether you should go back and kind of be mindful of the emotion or whether it's better just to stay with the breath for a while. And then a, a last option I'll mention is that you can always, um, if there's a strong emotion that's difficult to be with, um, the breathing is a real good companion, support. 
if you just kind of tune into your breathing and then breathe with the emotion or through the emotion, uh, that can make it a lot easier to stay with the emotion without getting caught up in it. And, uh, and uh, because the breathing kind of is like, you're, you're like it's holding your hand or something with it or your, you know, your partner or your friend with it or something. And so uh, that's always an option to, to go with it. Yes, please. If we can have a... Tanya will bring you. Uh, just a, a comment. I'm still very early in my journey to develop my practice, and um, I have found the... Uh, offer a testimonial about the recognize in emotions. It has been the most powerful thing for me um, to label which is the same thing I think as recognize. Yes. And it is an enormously, has been an enormously helpful thing for me to simply sort out as these things come rushing through me as I'm trying to get settled to simply call them what they are and I especially like your advice to use one word. Yes. Because one word is all you need it seems and it over time has given me so much space between all of that that it represents and my ability to just sit back and eventually I can watch as against engage and it's I'm I'm just offering it as a suggestion that it's it's a most powerful thing yes. in my I experience. love what you're saying so I'll use that as an as a to say that I I told I talked about these four steps recognize allow feel and tease apart that could be way too complicated and, uh, and sometimes uh, you want to take your time. Don't do it all tonight when you go home. You, uh, uh, the recognized part is very powerful. And maybe that's all you do for the next month when there's an emotion. It's just really rely on recognize, recognizing and learn, learn what it's like and the power and the value of it. Don't be in a rush to kind of do all these steps, you know, because Gil said so, these four steps, you know, like, you know, and... Uh, just you can do, do all this. You can all do all this meditation slowly. You take your time. It's a kind of a laboratory, and you're kind of in there, learning the map or learning the territory. You're in there trying different things out to see what you learn about yourself. Um, this is not like a. This is not like a. Um, let's figure out who can be the most efficient meditator. And sometimes maybe it's best to be the least efficient meditator because then you might learn the most. You might understand the most how all this works. And so what you, what you learned about recognition is fantastic. So um, thank you. Okay. So, um, yeah, we have... Is there any questions about what I've said so far? That uh, Any other... Any clarification or something... I have a, a quick question since you <coughs> talked about commitment today while... Talked about what? Commitment. Commitment. Yeah, while you practicing sitting at a place to... There was a question that uh, springs up in my mind. I was just wondering to ask you. Uh, there is a person I know uh, shared with me that uh, I can only commit myself to my spiritual practice. And I can't commit myself to anything else, including the person who loves me. So, how much 
this is helpful for that person's spiritual practice? That was my question. Well, I'm pretty committed to breathing. And if that, you know, I'm not going to commit myself to anything else, really. But I'm committed to breathing. But I'm going to make sure that I breathe. But I'm also committed uh, to uh, breathing with my family in their proximity. I'm committed to coming to IMC and breathing here. The commitment to a spiritual life doesn't have to exclude other commitments. It's the container. It's actually the container for... Uh, uh, Maybe the most important commitment, but it's what holds the smaller commitments. And it makes the smaller commitments easier to commit to the smaller ones because there's this wonderful package, the spiritual life, that makes us understand what these other commitments are about. That makes a little bit of sense? Thank you. It's not, you know, that's not the topic for today, but these people, are, you know, some of you are asking the Mindfulness 401 questions. <laughs> Graduate school questions. I appreciate it, but um, any, any last minute, any qu- last questions about the instructions here, about the mindfulness of emotions? I hope you're eager to now go for the next week and uh, meditation, outside of meditation, to make a study or make really stop and do the three breath journey and use that as a foundation maybe to kind of begin exploring, getting to know both emotions, but also second arrows, commentary, reactions, teasing all this apart. And, uh, and hopefully you'll do much better than not making it worse. You'll actually make things better. So next week, so there's this handout which describes a little bit the instructions and um, and some exercises you can do at home and in your daily life and things like that. And then next week we're going to do uh, mindfulness of thinking. And that's a very important topic for a number of reasons. One reason is uh, a lot of you think. And so it's a big part of life. And the other is that uh, for many people who meditate, thinking is one of the primary uh, things they think are obstacles to meditation. If only I didn't think, then I could really be present. So, uh, So the idea is to now learn how you can fold the thinking into the mindfulness practice itself and how it's concluded as part of it rather than being the problem. It becomes part of the... part of the show, part of the whole event. So next week, Mindfulness of Thinking. So thank you all.